Hello and welcome back to Rupture Radio, a weekly podcast looking at news, culture and politics from a socialist perspective. This week I'm joined by Rupture regular Dan O'Dwyer to talk about the issue of Irish neutrality, where it came from, the government's growing campaign to undermine it and why we should push back. First of all, however, issue seven of Rupture magazine is out soon. The theme of this issue is work with articles looking at the case for a four day work week working conditions after COVID, as well as an article on the role of reproductive labour in capitalism. If you haven't already, please do subscribe at rupture.ie and spread the word about Issue 7 as well. Also, as Jim had mentioned last week, all us Rupture regulars will be gathering for Rice's Eco-Socialist Summer Camp this August for a weekend of discussion, debate and opportunities to reconnect with nature in the beautiful area of Glendalough. The event is open to all those interested in eco-socialist ideas, so I would strongly encourage you and all our listeners to check it out and make it part of your summer plans. And I'll add a link uh, to the episode show notes as well, where you can find out more. So, uh, welcome, welcome back to the podcast, Diana. Uh, um, how have you? How have you been? What are you up to for the Easter weekend? Thanks, Keen. Uh, good to see you. Um, I'm actually down in West Cork already, um, anxiously waiting to start my Easter holidays. But do a bit of walking and cycling. But just going to do this podcast first, and then I'm free. Yeah, yeah. Your 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 Lenten uh, pledge to avoid podcasting has been broken. Then. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, yeah. Ah, yeah. No, this is my for for people listening. It's quarter to four on the Thursday, so and I'm off tomorrow as well. So this is our sort of the last the last thing before we 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 go uh, go on our holidays. Um, so forgive us if it's a bit shorter and sharper than normal. But no, no. Anyway, anyway. So um, you were uh, I want to talk to you because I know you did a lot of the heavy lifting on the recent People Before Profit Neutrality Bill. Um, and looking into some of the the history of Irish neutrality and where it came from, and um, the current war on neutrality taking place, and how how the socialist left can can push back against it, um, so thought it'd be interesting to, to to talk about this concept of of neutrality and and what it means and why we why it's worth fighting for and defending. But but first of all, before we get into the to the deep end on it, like for maybe people from an international audience listenership. Um, that wouldn't be familiar with like what Irish neutrality is or, or what that phrase even means. Could you cover like some of the background or right, the history of it? Where did this notion of uh, neutrality c- come from? Yeah, um, well, I think neutrality as it's evolved kind of mainly now means that Ireland like isn't a member of NATO or any other military alliances that we don't take part in formally anyway in common defence stuff in the EU. Um, but that's kind of been whittled down a lot, I think, from like the historical concept of um, neutrality, which I think really dates back to the struggle for Irish independence and just the horror and revulsion that Irish people felt um, about being sent as cannon fodder to fight in Britain's imperial wars when the whole of Ireland is British Connolly. Um, So during the First World War, I think there was about up to 50,000 Irish soldiers were killed um, fighting in World War One, and there was mass protests against the attempted introduction of conscription um, into the British Army at that time. And the slogan, we serve neither King nor Kaiser, was an anti-conscription slogan developed at the time um, by James Connolly and the Socialist Irish Citizens Army um, in helping to develop a movement um, around that. That was done, there was the, what well, it was called, the, the Irish Neutrality League as well at that stage was sort of yeah. a part of a campaign Greg Connolly, I think, was the chairperson of, was which was campaigning against Irish involvement in that war and campaigning for like Irish people not to join up and sign up to the British Army and not to go off and fight. 
Yeah, and I think really beyond that, it has like quite deep roots in the struggle for independence as well. Um, that kind of slogan that like England's difficulty was Ireland's opportunity was used in the context of the 1916 rising, the idea of having an uprising at a time when um, England was very much preoccupied with fighting in an imperialist war and using that um, um, as you know a chance to, to have an armed rebellion. Um, and it was like the repercussions then of the 1916 rising that kind of sowed the seeds for subsequent movement for Irish independence. Um, so I think the concept of our non-involvement in imperial wars of kind of anti-imperialism was part of the whole struggle for independence. Um, and if you think about it, like in every kind of war that um, England was involved in while Ireland was a colony, um, with the whole Ireland was a colony like there would have been thousands of Irish soldiers killed in all those wars and like you know Britain has been involved in lots of wars since you know um, it's been involved in invading Afghanistan and in Iraq and there would have been like big Irish involvement in that um, if the struggle for independence hadn't have been won and it goes on further from that as well that um, and the anti-colonial history of Ireland was also um, the main reason why Ireland didn't join NATO when it was being set up, um, Sean Lamass at the time said that they wouldn't join because Britain was a member. Um, now, he did also seek a separate military pact or alliance with the US. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it wasn't an opposition to all imperialism or to US imperialism, but opposition to British imperialism was the reason why uh-huh. we weren't in NATO in the first place, you know. Um, and it's, it seems like, like in some ways, that concept of neutrality was fought for from below by some of the the left um Connolly and the likes uh, and the anti-colonial like uh, movement but then as soon as the Irish state was established it's been a sl- a slow drift away from that they they the the Irish ruling class as soon as they had their own state they sudden they they very quickly were trying to cozy up to as you say uh, american imperialism uh, um instead and therefore they've for like for almost a century now they've sort of seen the notion of neutrality as a as a, a an unnecessary burden, or as something that they've tried to circumvent or or undermine bit by bit over 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 a century, like yeah, I think that's true. But I think there's also a bit of historical continuity between the Irish elites' attempts to undermine neutrality since independence and more recently, and the kind of attitude of elites within, like the wealthier um, Irish population, when Ireland was still a colony. Um, in that you always had participation of some members of like the upper Catholic classes um, who emigrated, say, to the US or the Caribbean and became slaveholders who were involved in helping to run the British Empire um, in places like India, like as administrators and so on. And then the vast mass of the population who were very much subjugated by colonialism, who were, for example, killed um, in their millions during the Great Famine. Um, and who were subjected to colonialism at the same time as members of the Irish elite were off imposing colonialism on behalf of the British Empire and other countries. Um, and now you have the elites and people who were very much under the sway of the elites who were like, they committed blue shirt Fine Gael supporters who were all banging the drum for getting rid of Irish neutrality and the vast majority of the population who are still extremely supportive of the idea of Irish neutrality and not getting involved um, in imperial wars alongside, you know, England and other big powers, you know. So I think that's a very powerful thing in Irish history that's still there and that that's why it has survived 
And, you know, it's always been unpopular with the Irish elite before and after independence because the elites in Ireland didn't really support Irish independence either until the last possible moment, you know. Yeah, the most the most conservative revolutionaries or whatever they were, <laughs> counter-revolutionaries, in fact. But anyway, yeah. uh, um, uh, uh, but uh, and so how do you then in that context um, where like the phrase neutrality is somewhat of a contested phrase, even, you know, Fianna Fáil used the phrase and they historically like said, oh, we're pro neutrality. But at the same stage on everything important, Fianna Fáil backed U.S. imperialism, you know, uh, um you had Bertie Hearn saying, oh, Ireland's a neutral country, whilst you also had like two and a half million US troops uh, um, flying through uh, Shannon. Uh, um, and so, yeah, the phrase neutrality is contested, what it means. It could also have, could have like a socialist, anti-imperialist content, and it could also just have like a sort of a pacifist or a, um, a left Republican nationalist content or whatever. But how do you then um, like define neutrality when it came to trying to write the, the PVP neutrality bill? Like, how do you define what neutrality should be? Yeah, well, that's the thing with neutrality because it's something that's very popular with the mass of the population, but something that the elites don't like very much. You've always got a pressure from above to minimize it and then push back pressure from below in movements to maximize it. And in putting forward the private members bill, that's kind of what we were trying to do to put to maximize Irish neutrality and the meaning of it. Because um, what the elites have been trying to narrow it down to very much um, has been simply that Ireland is not in NATO, basically. And they've been trying to kind of even define away the general thing that we're not involved in military stuff in the EU, like chipping away at that as well, you know. Um, so there's a few different things that we put in the bill to try and get actually in the constitution to make it really clear what neutrality is. Um, so first of all, it says that Ireland is not to participate in a war or in preparations for war or assist other countries in wars or preparations for war unless the country is actually being invaded or is being attacked. So only in self-defense, um, basically against an armed attack. And that also, would... that's not to... Yeah, go on. Sorry, and and that would um that would stop the use of Shannon Airport by U.S. military as well. That would apply that like troops pa- can't pass through here on their way, uh, um to uh imperialist wars in in the Middle East or whatever as well. Yeah. Uh, well, actually, to make that like extra crystal clear, we put in a separate clause that Ireland's not to allow its territory to be used by other states to transport war material or personnel to third countries for the purpose of war or other armed conflict. Because I think that's probably been the major violation of neutrality like um in recent years has been you know all these hundreds of thousands of u.s troops using shannon airport like as a de facto military base um so it's important to be clear on that because the elites will say that it's just the fact that we don't send our own troops overseas and we're not in military alliances you know so one clause is that point that you can you can't um, go to war uh, um unless you're being actually invaded uh, and then you can defend yourself another is that you can't allow uh, foreign military tr- to use Ireland in their preparation for war, um, and what 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 were the other parts of the um the bill then as well? That Ireland can't be a member of any military alliances, and that it can't adopt European Council decisions to participate in a war. And the reason we had that one in there specifically was thinking about the recent um EU agreement to send loads of weapons and other military equipment to Ukraine. That Ireland's tried to say that they've maintained neutrality with that because they're only sending body armour, um, 
rather than specifically weapons, which, you know, it's essentially the same thing if you're sending armor to an army that's clearly military aid, you know. Um, yeah, yeah. But yeah, so I, we just wanted to make that more clear as well. I also saw the government claiming that they were sending fuel to put in the tanks, but that's that's not that's not military aid. Um, it's like sort of like dancing on how many angels can dance on the head of a pin kind of stuff. Um, yeah, I, I think it's more the fact that they're directly supplying a military engaged in a war is why it's military aid. You know, it's different if you're sending petrol to, you know, ambulances or something. Yeah, you yeah. Know? Like I, I, we have humanitarian aid, uh, um, you completely support. Uh, um, and yeah. in fact, I saw, I think the figure is like 20 or 30 million euro is all Ireland is sending in humanitarian aid to Ukraine, which is just laughable. Like a country, they, they, they're, they're spending seven and a half billion on servicing their national debt. Um, so like Ireland's 20 million is like a drop in the ocean, really, you know. Uh, um, That's the thing, like people for profit has raised like repeatedly in the doll with the Taoiseach, you know, why won't you support cancelling Ukrainian national debt? It would be a huge help, you know, to the actual people of Ukraine and the living standards of Ukraine. But he's just totally refused to engage with that at all. And that's a big demand of trade unionists and the left in, in Ukraine is to have the debt dropped. And so, so that bill sought to amend the constitution to insert those clauses in, to, to insert the clause in that you can't join a war unless you've been invaded, you can't uh, uh, join NATO, uh, um, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, you can't have the, the foreign troops using Irish uh, military bases or airports, et cetera. But, but that would have required a referendum to do. So that was a proposal actually for a, a referendum. Uh, um, if you could tell us a bit more about, about how that would have worked and how, how did the government respond to, to that? themselves yeah like we weren't saying that this just becomes the law tomorrow if the bill were passed um not that the bill would pass anyway because the government opposed it but what it was asking for was for a referendum to put this definition of neutrality to the people to see if they wanted to have that inserted in the constitution so it's interesting like the government opposes this you know despite all their talk of like oh we want to debate on neutrality and we want to see if this outmoded version of neutrality is still what people want, blah, blah, blah. But then when it comes down to it, they don't actually want to put it to the people because they're afraid that people would still support, you know, neutrality and support a strong version of it. Um, So I think what they're proposing is a citizens assembly on neutrality. And in that way, they'll try and kind of control the narrative and massage the debate around it. But I mean, you never know what will come out of that either, you know, with the citizens assembly you might end up with something more supportive of neutrality than they bargained for. And then they'd probably just put it on the back burner and try and ignore it, you know. So it's important to try and um, put their their feet to the fire a bit over this um, and try and push them on it at times when it doesn't suit them. When they say that they need a, that they want the debate, um, I honestly think that what they mean is they want more opinion pieces in the Irish Times and the Indo. You know, that's their notion of a debate is like a one-sided propaganda war uh, and to try to soften people up uh, um, uh, uh, and what they don't want. Like, yeah, maybe they'd concede, maybe they'd go for a citizens' assembly, but ultimately that's only advisory. Uh, that leaves the decision in the hands of the government, you know, whereas what this bill would have done is to put it to people in a referendum, giving people a, ordinary people a chance to have their say and potentially the government don't want that because it could potentially tie the hands of the government, you know? Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, that's why neutrality isn't in the constitution at the moment, because mm. if it did, it would be a big block in them being able to make fundamental changes, you know, whereas at the moment they're still doing their chip, chip, chip 
away thing because it's a bit vague about what it means and what it doesn't mean. So yeah, they really will want to keep it out of the constitution. But I think it was important as well to get like the other opposition parties on record supporting Irish neutrality. It'll make it a bit harder for them because um, over the next few years, there is going to be this push from the whole establishment, the media echo chamber and all that, um, looking for neutrality to be got rid of, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, like, let's take it. So some of the propaganda that you've seen, some of the opinion pieces and the arguments you've, that have been put out there, I've been, I've been saying, like, actually, no, Ireland should be joining NATO. Some have even made that full case um, that, look, NATO now are the ones keeping peace in the world. They're the ones protecting the West and protecting us in Europe from Russian aggression uh, um, and Russian imperialism. And NATO is therefore like a progressive defense. It's it's a defense alliance and we should be part of that defense alliance. Uh, um, and how would you respond to or, or like critique that, that line of argument? Yeah, well, firstly, the whole word defense is the biggest misnomer. Like the US spends trillions on weapons and military stuff every year. And that's all under the banner of the Department of Defense. Yes, the US is like never really attacked. Like, um, so like it should really be called the Department of Offense, you know, um, and like the same with the EU military stuff. It's always called defensive, but it's not about that. It's about um, preparing for offensive military interventions, mainly in poorer um, developing countries that are former colonies, you know, and like what side of that is Ireland going to be on? Like the establishment, Fine Gael, all the rest want us to be in the imperialist club, being the ones doing the invading. Whereas I think the mass of the population here, like ordinary people remembering our colonial history ourselves, want to be on the side of you know, the countries that are being attacked and the countries that are being invaded by the bigger countries. Like, that's a, like a strong sentiment that still exists, you know. And like, literally, it it was like, obviously, now the rebranding that's going on with NATO is presenting them as like, as if they were just like peacekeepers or whatever. But it was NATO, NATO troops that were in Afghanistan, uh, um, that were like, part of that invasion, that uh, brutal um, occupation that saw like hundreds of thousands of deaths, you know, uh, um, and it's NATO uh, countries, NATO members, like the, the key force in NATO is the US. And obviously the US is also probably the country most responsible for war and imperialist invasions over the past century. Uh, um, uh, uh, and I think that like they're trying to whitewash that out of the history and just talk about what's happening today. But even just today, uh, um, like NATO allies, so like the US is giving huge support and backing to the likes of the Saudi Arabian regime with their brutal war in Yemen that has seen 400,000 people die. Um, like that, that's, that's even just today. This is the reality of what NATO and NATO members are, are up to. And I think we have an important role to play in trying to like cut through that propaganda, that halo that's being put around NATO's head, you know? Yeah, it's a funny kind of thing that like um, you get a few imperialist powers together in a club and you give it a new name and people kind of forget that it's still mm-hmm. the same countries like nato is incredibly strongly dominated by the us like they're just their military spending like so much massively overwhelms every other country in the world like put together um i don't know if you remember a couple of years ago trump was given out about all the other countries in nato that they hardly contribute anything of like so all the us has to pay for it you know and like you know, he and his simplistic kind of reasoning was like, well, we should just forget about NATO. <laughs> but what it does show is like how dominant the US is within NATO. And that has actually been one kind of effect, I think, of the current conflict is 
the EU were trying to build up their own little imperial ar- army, you know, in the EU, and they're actually being pushed more back into NATO again um, in the context of the current conflict, which, you know, suits the US, which had been kind of declining um, as a kind of hegemonic power. Um, but yeah, NATO really is the US and the big powers in the EU to a lesser extent, you know, but I mean, Germany is now rearming itself. Woohoo, like this is supposed to be a good thing, apparently, in the context of the current situation, but I don't like the sound of it very much. And then you have France and the UK as well, you know? Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, um, and like, it is that point of like, um, just because you club together, as you were saying, just like, I don't trust any of these people as individuals, any of these like right wing uh, um, imperialist co- governments as uh, individually. I, I don't know why I would think that they're any better when they all get into the, a room together, you know? Um, the, the other thing is uh, like part of the push with joining NATO is that notion of having to dramatically increase your military spending. And that's one of the things recently that they've been pushing in Ireland is for increased military spending partly to bring us up to those NATO levels as well. Yeah, like, because it's interesting timing, like before um, Russia invaded Ukraine, even there was this push on to increase military spending. There was a review of the Defence Forces um, in Ireland, the Defence Forces Commission, um, and they came out with this report, you know, saying, oh, there's a very low level of military spending here in Ireland and, um, it needs to be increased by at least 500 million a year, preferably 2 billion a year, you know, which are like tiny numbers in the context of world military spending and will make feck all difference to any supposed capacity of Ireland to defend itself from an unlikely invasion. <laughs> but mm-hmm. our big numbers in the context of like the housing crisis or a million people on health waiting lists or, you know, free public transport, any of those good things you could um, spend money on um, rather than spend on a, a pointless military that's mm-hmm. really only there like to suck up to the bigger powers to show that we're doing our bit you know it doesn't actually yeah. help protect people you know so that sort of Coveney can cut the ribbon on some new fighter jets or whatever um, yeah yeah they love that like, yeah. like sort of Kim Jong-il Kim <laughs> Jong-un style sort of uh, military processions or whatever that they that they that they want to preside over uh, um yeah, because I think so, it's kind of embarrassing for them at the moment, like that we don't have any fighter jets, that we can't like, you know, help the French out that much in their foreign, former colonies. We can just send a few crappy little military advisors to Mali or whatever, but we can't really get stuck in, in the way that, you know, Coveney would like to be able to say, oh, you know, we're really playing a, a role, a bit a bigger role, even though we're a small country and backing up the French in Africa or, you know, wherever else. And even just, I'm sure, like, the US like it when you spend more money on military because you probably end up buying loads of equipment off big US military equipment providers. You know what I mean, uh, um, th- th- it's a there is a uh, there is a mili- mi- military industrial complex. It is real, like uh, um, oh, absolutely. I mean, this current war is a huge boon for the arms industry. Like one of the first impacts of it, um, apart from obviously the terrible human suffering that it caused, was like. At the same time as that increased, the share prices of all the arms companies massively increased, you know? Yeah. Uh, um, and I've also seen the other side that maybe we can't really get into here, but I've seen some people calculating like the climate impacts of war, like the amount of greenhouse gas emissions related just to like armaments production and like, uh, and war is actually phenomenal. Like this war will off, not offset, what's the word? Will, will like, 
undo any progress that we've we would have had this year otherwise in terms of reducing um greenhouse gas emissions that actually the the the, the impact of war on the climate is phenomenal yeah that would be you know in theory one of the best ways of cutting carbon emissions would be abolish the defense industry or the military industry but yeah. fortunately it's not ever going to happen under capitalism and so okay so we have the situation of a sort of hypocritical irish neutrality for the past uh period um the establishment trying to push it downplay it more and more so um and then now in the past couple of weeks it seems like it's blown up again and um, i've seen paul murphy referred in the doll to a, a, a war on neutrality um what do you think is going on here and could you like bring that Explain a bit what is taking place in the last couple of weeks in terms of um, the government and pushing on neutrality. Yeah, well, one thing that they're doing is um, trying to take part in EU military aid packages to Ukraine, um, committing more money to it again um, this week. And then there's a general push on for um, greater military spending within the EU um, that they've kind of wanted to do for a long time. But the current situation is like providing um, a better context for them to be able to push forward with that. I don't know if people remember back to the Lisbon Treaty like referendum. At the time, there was a bit of a debate around the fact that the Lisbon tre- Treaty says that EU member states have to progressively increase their military um, spending. Um, so that's been there in the background all the time. And, you know, the phrase never waste a good crisis. Um, that's basically what they're trying to do is to push through that agenda um, like Fine Gael published a policy document called Beyond Neutrality back in 2003, uh, coincidentally timed with um, the Iraq war. And I'm sure they would have loved to send off, you know, working class soldiers off to get killed in Iraq. Um, there wouldn't be too many of Fine Gaelers going out. Um, but here I again, seen, kind of, I haven't seen Neil Richmond sign up to <laughs> go off and fight in the Ukrainian army. Like, you know, <laughs> yeah, like I haven't heard of um, <laughs> too many like uh, private school boys from Dublin, you know, signing up for the shitty defense forces pay, you know, after they finish school. Um, but yeah, like, so they're really just using that. There's a process to set up more EU battle groups. Um, to push forward with PESCO and to generally to align the EU uh, more closely with NATO um, and to have more cooperation um, going on there um, with NATO. So in a way, like probably the strongest opposition at the moment in the opinion polls is to Ireland join, joining NATO. But one way around that is to kind of um, get Ireland involved in EU uh, military stuff and then align that really closely with NATO. It's kind of like a backdoor into NATO, you know. I think there's a bit of confusion over the, like the notion of neutrality in a sense because like the phrase can cause confusion in that um, obviously you're explaining it well in terms of it's it's not joining any imperialist club but when it comes to you know the oppression of Palestinians or the like the brutal uh, um, wars in Yemen and the Russian war crimes in Ukraine we're not neutral you know as socialists we're opposed to all imperialism and you know all, all these brutal wars um, but. How do you like? I think that part of the point is that like we live in a world that's like run by different rival imperialist gangs, different bullies on the schoolyard, and that we shouldn't be backing any of them. We shouldn't be joining and supporting like any of these uh, um, imper- imperialist bullies. Uh, um, but 
that's a good point. But then the other question is posed of like, okay, how do we stop having these imperialist bullies running the show? Like, you know, um, yes, we shouldn't be, we should do no harm. We shouldn't be joining one of them. But how do we actually stop uh, um, these like uh, um, imperialist gangs from, from running the world? How do we stop the, the these endless cycle of wars and uh, oppression? Um, uh, well, I think like, History kind of shows that um, probably the best way to end wars is through mass anti-war movements uh, from below. I mean, that's kind of what led to the ending of the Vietnam War, for example. Um, it could be a factor in ending the current war in Ukraine. I think the best hope at the moment is for a mass anti-war movement in Russia that could overthrow Putin and then lead to the withdrawal of Russian troops. Um, and I think that's an approach that we can kind of try and support through building an anti-war movement in Ireland. Um, unfortunately, like for as long as we have a right-wing government in the form of Fianna Fáil and Fianna Gael or any type of capitalist government, um, there's limits to like what Ireland, quote-unquote, can do. You know, um, Ireland as a capitalist state can only can never really have a, like a properly progressive foreign policy. We can only kind of stop them from doing bad things and through pressure from below, um, maybe gets imposed some positive demands on them, like to increase humanitarian aid, to allow in more refugees, to drop the debt um, in Ukraine, for example. Um, but that, like, if we really want to have an effect in helping to end the whole system of imperialism, that means that you you have to get a genuine left government with you know socialist policies, and that has to happen in other countries as well particularly in the big imperial powers, you know, more mm. than Ireland. Yeah, and I th- like I think um, the notion of uh, building an anti-war movement, or the anti-war movement in Russia is the most inspiring thing that's taking place. And it shows how, like, it is from below. It's people power. That's what's going to get rid of Putin. Uh, um, it's not these sanctions or all of that sort of stuff, uh, um, which actually can only are only backfiring. Uh, um, but the hope is that ordinary people within Russia, rising up against this war, connecting the dots between like this war and Putin's brutal uh, um, oligarchic reign and, and hopefully try to overthrow not just Putin and the oligarchs that he represents, but but capitalism as well. But I think it is also the point that like if you had, if you had in one country somewhere a genuinely socialist government uh, um, that was like not backing any of the imperialist camps, um, but that, that socialist government would be able to like appeal to workers in other countries to join them, you know, in, uh, appeal to, like, if you had a socialist government in, in Russia um, that overthrew Putin and replaced it, that they could appeal to workers in, in America to join them as well. And also, like, America sh- Americans should overthrow their oligarchs as well. And sort of that sort of internationalist, uh, um, not an insular, but an internationalist uh, um, perspective as well, you know? Yeah, I mean, I think even if you look back at, like, um during the time of the Soviet Union, like terrible and all as Stalinism was, um, there was a level of support from the Soviet Union for um, colonized countries that were seeking independence. That was a factor in the big wave of decolonization around the world that maybe would not have happened so quickly or in the way that it did um, if you simply had a, a world system that was dominated by the Western imperial powers, it definitely wouldn't have unfolded so quickly or in the same way, I don't think. Um, so you can imagine how powerful um, it could be to have like a genuine democratic socialist um, country engaging in a genuinely progressive foreign policy, reaching out 
anti-war movements around the world. I mean, another example you could look at would be Cuba. And like Cuba played quite a good role in terms of its foreign policy, like for many decades, um, helping out with, you know, anti-colonial movements in Africa, for example. Um, so, I mean, this kind of thing has happened to some extent before. And you can imagine how much more powerful um, it could be um, in the future if you had a, a few and, and countries how, doing that. And how much more powerful and attractive it could be if it was, if that sort of anti-imperialist um, policy was twinned with a, a democratic uh, form of socialism that would actually like be very attractive to people, uh, um, uh, uh, that it's not just uh, a top-down Stalinist dictatorship, but it's a genuine workers' democracy, that like that could be a real inspiration uh, to people the world over, you know? Um, but okay, so finally concluding. So PBP brought this bill. Uh, how did it How did it go in the end? Uh, and where do things stand now in terms of um, the fight for, for neutrality? Yeah, um, there was 53 votes in favour of it and 67 against. Um, so it was basically government versus opposition largely. Um, crucially, if the Greens had voted for it, then it would have passed. Um, and I think it's just an, yet another betrayal of everything they supposedly stood for um, by the Greens, given that like supporting Irish neutrality has been part of the Greens kind of policy and principles since they were set up. They've always been supposedly like quite an anti-war um, party. Um, they voted for similar neutrality bills in 2003, 2016 and 2018. Um, but now that they're in government, they vote the other way. Um, and the other party to switch around its position was Labour because you know, in opposition, they vote for neutrality and in government, they vote against it. So it was interesting seeing them trying to do a little kind of, you know, intellectual gymnastics to justify why they could support it this time when they were in government, they vote against it. When really it's just, we're in opposition now, so we can support good stuff again. (laughs) Because they, yeah, they would have, in 2003, they did support it. And obviously 2016 and 2018, when they were in government, they, 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 they voted it down. But did they, what kind of justification did they do as to to say why they switched, I didn't. I didn't see um, their uh, spin machine. <laughs> um, like they kind of did. Like, oh, you know, we might have issues with some aspects of the current wording, but the key thing is to put it to a referendum to let people decide. So they kind of tried to play all sorts of sides of it. You know, um, so I'm, so I'm just pro debate kind of a thing. Like, yeah, yeah, that sort of thing. But then, kind of trying to make out that when they'd voted against it before, they had still really supported neutrality, really, but just at that time, they couldn't, like, it was just... Yeah, yeah. We, vote, we voted against it, but we had yeah. our fingers crossed behind our backs kind of a thing, like, you know? Uh, yeah. um, with with friends like that, who needs enemies, you know? Um, but yeah, obviously, it is particularly, like, like that would have been massive. Such a close vote, 53 to 67, with the if the Greens had switched and voted, like, in line with their agreed policy, this would now be happening, you know what I mean? We would now be preparing for a referendum to enshrine neutrality in the in the constitution. It just does underline what a uh, a betrayal their decision to to go in with Fianna Fáil and Fine Gael, um was, you know. Yeah. But yeah, okay. Well, we we shall on that positive note. No, um, <laughs> we'll, we'll we'll leave it there for now, and we can go enjoy our uh, our Easter holidays and, and uh, yeah. All right. Thank you. All right. Cheers. See you. Good luck. Bye. Fuck, you stick your trousers on and you lost bit of makeup.